Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, first day back. Are we ready to leave? School shoes on, check. Coats and bags, check. Smile on Aoife's face, check. Smile on Sean's face, check. Huge smile on Mum's face. Oh, yes! Woohoo! Let's go! School bags and school shoes from Littlewoods, Ireland. Back to school victory celebration from Mum. From Nike to Clark's, find the back to school brands you love at littlewoodsireland.ie. Yay, she said it. Yes. I'm so happy. I know you I'm are. So People like the g'day. I've heard it from a fan that they enjoyed the g'day. Which fan? Simone. <laughs> My other best friend. <laughs> uh, she was well, like, you know what? I like the g'day. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. It's you and me, babe. <laughs> yeah. I am... Fine with it. Uh, hi, my name's Jess. I'm Ellen. And we're the host of Murder in the Land of Oz, an Australian true crime podcast. Why are we introducing the show for the because first time? Because I feel like people are getting a little bit confused as to what this is. This is a podcast where we have two friends that talk about horrible things and we don't necessarily laugh at the horrible things. We laugh at the people who try to get away with it because they're stupid. So before the episode when I said we're not going to talk about the bad reviews. We're not talking about the bad reviews. I'm not giving anybody any time. I'm just saying this is what this podcast is. If that is not your jam... See you later. See you later, alligator. <laughs> In a while, crocodile. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So on the topic of that, just want to say thank you so much to everybody who's been leaving nice reviews. We've gotten so many reviews recently that like every time my phone gets a notification, I'm like, oh my God, another one. We've had, I checked the Instagram this afternoon. We had like five messages from people just like talk, like just engaging with us and just mm. saying how much they like the podcast and it's really encouraging. Obviously, we don't want to think about the bad reviews, but the nice reviews are really lovely. And we love talking to you guys. So many people have messaged us with just like articles and just like things to talk about um, and we Crystal, always respond. Crystal, who we met at Supernova, engaged with us on Instagram to let us know about um, Carly and Candelise. Yes, which we'll be posting which we'll an update be talking for. about in a minute. Um, not on this episode, but later in the date, um, never mind, um, Crystal was like, hey, just so you know, and I was like, doll, I literally posted it on the Facebook mm, page. Mm. We're all on the same level. It's amazing. It's so, so amazing. Thank you so much to everybody. It means a lot to us. It does. We didn't think this was going to be a thing. Yep. We also found out from our producers, uh, uh, producer podcast man, Zane, over there sitting in front of me, we are number three 
on Spotify for Australian news and politics. Which is unbelievable. What? Because we haven't even been on Spotify for that long. No. So thank you for listening and letting people know about the show. And for those people that don't listen to spot on Spotify, how about you subscribe on the iTunes? Hey? Yeah. <laughs> you do look like you're having a stroke. <laughs> I feel like I'm having one. We've had a big week. Um, also, <laughs> another big news is we are on Patreon. Yay. You can go to www.patreon forward slash Murder in the Land of Oz and you can donate to us by the month. There are three tiers. Yes. Quokkas. Yep. And two other animals. <laughs> Kookaburras and galahs. Yes. So $5, 10 and $20 a month that you can uh, – Give to us, which will uh, just let you know we're not going to use it to buy clothes or Slurpees as I'm drinking now. They are only $1, so we're not making any promises. We're not making any promises, but we are going to be putting that money towards basically funding this podcast. Uh, we do buy a lot of resources in order for us to research these crimes well, um, so it'll be going towards that. And also next year, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, if uh, finances allow, we Murder on the Land of Oz is going to go to CrimeCon in New Orleans. So exciting. So exciting. Did you see that Nancy Grace is going to be there? Oh, my God. I'm going to hit her in I'm the gonna face. I'm going to hit her so hard. I'm going to I'm commit like, a crime and get arrested at CrimeCon. She's such a dumb bitch. Not a Nancy Grace fan. Oh, not a Nancy not Grace fan. Did you see the Casey Anthony shit when that was going down? What an idiot. You guys should really research the Casey Anthony case. It's oh, a lot more in-depth. Definitely than- should do Casey Anthony at some oh, point. Defo, maybe oh, for defo. our Patreon Patreons. episodes. Because basically if you subscribe $20 a month. If you subscribe at any price point, you'll get access to our Patreon-only content. Yes. Which will be fun new episodes. At $20 a month, you can tell us a crime to do. And we will do it no matter what it is. We will do it, it no matter what it is. Also, if you want to donate 10 bucks, we will do a uh, audio message for you. Mm-hmm. If you want me to sing you a song, I wouldn't recommend it. But you can. You're an amazing professional singer. Um, debatable. I wouldn't sing you a song, but I would if you gave me money for it. <laughs> Stunning. Stunsville, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, so I think that covers all the P's and the Q's. That's the housekeeping. Other than you can go on Tee Public and get your Murder in the Land of Oz merch. Maybe a Christmas present. Maybe a mug. Maybe size a magnet. Up. If you buy clothes, size up. Size up. If you've got clothes, size up. Size up. Size up. Size up. Size up. Size up. Um, so, <clears throat> also, da 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 da. This is the first episode of the third season of Murder in the Land of Oz. Oh my God, it is. This is the first episode in Victoria, a state that I don't hate as much as I hate New South Wales. Exactly. But I still am not a huge fan still of Still not a huge people fan from of Victoria, specifically people from Melbourne. If you're from Melbourne, Put down your latte and go and read a book or something. <laughs> no, don't. Please keep listening. We love you so much. Yeah, we love every person in this great southern land. She has <laughs> 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 just, just chucked it down. <laughs> yeah, Victoria. Yeah. So this is uh, case number one. I'm glad we've had a few giggles and laughs now because shit's going to be dark the, this the season. The fun train has stopped. The fun train has well and truly and we've, stopped. And we've changed tracks and now we're on the depression train into sadness town. Yeah. Um, so it is my turn first up. Um, this is my first of my three cases that I'll be covering in Victoria. 
Um, and this one is particularly close to my heart, to Ellen's heart, and to a lot of people. Uh, this is the murder of Jill Ma. Okay. I can already feel myself starting to cry. Okay. Okay. Gillian McKeon was born on the 3rd of October, 1982 in, oh, da- oh God, I'm oh, Irish. pronunciation. Dor, da, da, da. Spell it. D-O-R-G-H-E-D-A. You can Google that and find out on your own time because I have no idea in how to pronounce it In County Louth of Ireland, she moved to Australia in 1991 with her father, George McKeon, when he began work in Perth. She moved back to Ireland in 1980, uh, 1996 where she attended grammar school and she attended at St. Oliver's Community College before graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree from the University College Dublin. After graduating, she began working for the Irish national broadcaster RTE. Gillian met and married Tom Ma in Ireland in 2008 and with Tom moved to Australia in 2009. She settled in Melbourne and began working for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC. She had an occasional on-air role for 774 ABS Melbourne. She was described as funny, intelligent, empathetic, positive and a shining light. Tom and Jill were living on Lux Way in Brunswick in Melbourne. And Brunswick is known as like a trendy suburb, also for its LGBTQ and immigrant community. In early September 2012, Jill's father had a stroke, a blow to the McKeon family. Jill flew to her father's side in Western Australia. She gave him a stern talking to and urged him to stay alive so her children would have the chance of having a grandfather. After spending time with her family, she decided to fly back home to Melbourne on the 14th of September. After work on the 21st of September 2012, Jill with her work friends uh, went with her work friends and colleagues to a birthday drinks at approximately 5 p.m. At 9 p.m., Jill and three other work friends decided to move on to the Brunswick Green Bar on Sydney Road in Brunswick. They enjoyed a drink at the bar until closing at 1 a.m. and they later moved on to bar etiquette to have their final drink. After about half an hour, they decided to wrap up the night. Jill was offered a lift by a co-worker, but in being such close proximity to her home, she decided that she was going to walk. And that was the last time that she was seen alive. So, so we're at 1.39 on the 22nd of September and a man in a blue hoodie is seen walking in front of the Sydney Road Shop uh, Duchess Boutique between 1.39 and 1.43. So by 1.43, Jill's left by etiquette and around 1.30, the 29-year-old is last seen on the CCTV speaking with a man wearing a blue hoodie. The, footy, uh, the footage captures her looking unsteady on her feet and checking her phone. Minutes later, uh, Miss uh, Jill's brother, Michael McKeon, calls his sister several times with no response. So Jill's husband, Tom, woke up at about 2 a.m., uh, he tried calling his wife uh, several times because she had left him a message inviting him to come out um, and he started to worry. Uh, so Mr. Ma- uh, so Tom uh, headed out at about 4 a.m. Um, from their home on Lux Way to search for his wife and he contacts the police after like failing to locate her. So Saturday morning at about 8 a.m., um, the police commenced the search to find Jill. So most homicides begin at a crime scene, obviously, but it wasn't clear to detectives at first that they were dealing with a murder because obviously she could have just been at a friend's house and her phone mm. died or mm. something like that. So they just didn't know uh, what to do. Um, her phone was dead and her bank accounts hadn't been as- accessed, which discounted the thought that Jill had orchestrated her own disappearance, which is something that people... She didn't go on girl herself. She didn't go on girl herself, no. 
<clears throat> so Jill was still missing on Sunday. So the police started, uh, were continuing the search for her and posters were placed um, up and down Sydney Road appealing for information on her disappearance. Uh, so Detective Senior Sergeant Ron Idles, who was like the former team leader in homicide, had taken five days off and was in contact with the members of the homicide team about two to three times a day because of Jill's disappearance. Um, so Tom at this point had... Uh, set up a Facebook page urging people to come forward with any information regarding Jill's disappearance. Um, At 3.15 on the Sunday afternoon, police had released a statement appealing for anybody who knew um, Jill and or if someone knew her whereabouts to contact Crime Stoppers because obviously everybody was really uh, worried. So... um, Detective, uh, Senior Sergeant uh, David Butler, who was one of the leads on the case, um, it became apparent to him that he thought that Jill at this point was dead, just with his experience in homicide. Um, For such a long time, like, yeah, without her being seen. It's, you know, it's, he, he himself, he was like, I'm not, obviously I'm not sure and I couldn't, he was like, I'm, I wasn't sure and obviously I couldn't, I couldn't know. But in my experience with dealing with cases like this, that Jill was most probably dead. So um, Monday at 6.30 a.m., police find a handbag in a laneway off Hope Street in Brunswick and they had previously searched the area and nothing had come up. And this handbag was just planted in a very, like, conspicuous position in the laneway. Um, And there wasn't any sign of a struggle and her bag can like still contained her credit cards and everything, but her phone was missing. Um, so former chief commissioner Ken Lay went on seven seven four ABC Radio to talk about the handbag one, and like he was like, "Look, I can't say that they missed it, but it pretty obvious that they didn't because it was just lying in the middle of the laneway." Mm. Um, obviously the handbag contained Jill's ABC swipe access card, um, and it turns out that the bag had been found um, because they appealed to people being like, hey, like, did anybody see this handbag? Did anybody move it? Um, And basically what had happened was that a shopkeep on off, uh, so basically his shop backed onto the alleyway. So that was like obviously their access point for rubbish and everything like that. The shopkeep had found the handbag, had brought it into his store, and then he had gotten a call from his daughter about Jillian's disappearance and he obviously looked in the bag and saw it was like it obviously said Jill Ma on the, on ass, the swipe card on the yeah. swipe card and everything so he decided to put it back in the laneway. Did he call the police? No. He didn't. So um, yeah, it's a bit weird. That's very strange. So um by 8:50 on Monday the 23rd um homicide squad had taken over the case. So by 1:40 5 p.m. forensic experts emerged from the alleyway and they had two big brown paper bags. Um, And then obviously with it. So when a woman gets murdered, when anybody gets murdered, you have to eliminate the people closest to them Mm. and work your way out. So Jill's husband was told firmly and politely that the homicide squad always starts with the people that are closest to the victim and they work out in increasing circles. Mm. Um, and you're far more likely to be murdered by You're more likely to be murdered by someone that you know and you trust than by a stranger. Um, and 
I mean, what's shitty about this day and age with uh, uh, social media is that people were getting on social media speculating that Tom had killed Jill mm. without, you know, much. Without any evidence or evidence facts or anything. or anything like that. I mean, not a, you know, completely stupid assumption to make because, I mean, there's a reason why the husband did it as a meme, but I feel like in the early stages of a real homicide investigation, not the smartest to be pointing fingers. No. And also, like, you don't, like, you, Jill, I'm not, I was about to say Jill, no. You, are like, Petra, like, on your Facebook at 11 a.m., like, you don't know shit. Like, you don't know what the fuck's Petra going on, was Petra. Petra random name. I don't know. Like, I know a lady Sharon. called Petra who I don't particularly like, so. Ooh, shout out to Petra. Shout out to Petra. So, um, at this point, also, uh, Ron Iddles was talking about, because uh, I watched this amazing documentary. If you search Jill Ma on Netflix, um, this documentary about the case comes up and it's very interesting. There's a lot of amazing interviews with the law enforcement that were searching for Jill. Um, and Ron Iddles was like, you don't, like you've got to focus on obviously the husband, but you don't want to do it to the detriment of like the other information other that, inquiry, come, yeah, yeah. that comes in. So Monday afternoon, um, a Sydney Road shopkeeper security camera captures one man, possibly two, that was walking behind Jill. Um, The shopkeeper also noticed a car at the scene. So the footage prompted police to like seek other footage. So they appealed to um, to the other businesses on Sydney Road to give them um, any CCTV footage that they could find. So... um, they were unable. They were able to eliminate Tom very quickly due to the evidence because they actually found CCTV footage of Tom searching Sydney Road to try and find Jill, and it just corroborated everything that His he had story. said because obviously he didn't do it. Um, so they ruled Tom out, and they also presented that to the media, obviously to stop the slander and people. everything. Mm. Um, so yeah, he was walking down Sydney Road, and they had discovered at that point that Jill's phone was on the Tullamarine Bridge. On the bridge? Yeah. Just sitting on the bridge? No, it was like travelling over the bridge but oh, at like 4.30. No. Yeah. And obviously Tom was on Sydney Road. So that's, you know. So Tuesday um, at about 12.30, so they'd searched the house. Um, they'd taken away Tom and Jill's car actually for analysis. They spent a, like They spent like five hours eliminating Tom from the murder, like just going through the house and everything. Um, And there was like footage of Tom and his brother-in-law, Michael, like sitting outside on the balcony while all of that was going on. Um, So at 3.55 p.m. on that Tuesday, police released a a statement and footage of Jill walking along Sydney Road and police, um, they released the like the very infamous footage of Jill um, with a man in a blue hoodie that can be seen like going, like coming up behind her and then talking mm. to her from the Duchess boutique. Um, so a forensic examiner then was passed on the um, Jill's handbag and checked the contents of the bag and they ventured further up the laneway and they found some unsmoked cigarettes and actually had a pencil with the ABC logo on it and they had – he had discovered this like flattened piece of turf, which he theorized was the rape scene. Oh boy. Just by, you know, obviously seeing a few rape scenes in his time, which is horrible. That's horrible. That is 
the mental image that I just conjured up was not yeah not pleasant. So obviously there was quite a big media storm with this investigation. People were obviously uh, very this was a huge about, case. Yeah, it was absolutely really, really, huge. Really. This was very much if if not on the same scale as Alison Baden Clay, like very much the same tier, like front page news every day. I Definitely. remember it just being massive. So this is the follow so this is the Wednesday after Jill's disappeared on the Saturday uh, on this on the Sunday morning. No, the Saturday morning. Um and they've appealed for more CCTV footage. Um and a lot of other women came forward with their own stories of being attacked on Sydney Road. Um and also the Find Jill Ma Facebook page had attracted 67,000 likes Whoa. and an outpouring of tributes. A witness claims to have seen a man wearing um, a hoodie running after Jill on Sydney Road. So um, the police were obviously like really worried about this CCTV footage of Jill with the guy in the hoodie because they could just tell from her body language that she just looked worried. She didn't look comfortable. And the scary thing is, is that at that point of the footage, she was 450 metres away from her house. Oh, my God. Which is worrisome. And the police at this point, obviously this guy is like, he could be the perpetrator, but at also the very least he was the last person. Yeah, to see her alive. To see her alive. So they debated on releasing the CCTV footage and Detective Senior Sergeant uh, David Butler believing that Jill was dead, but he was also like, if she's alive and I release this footage... If she's being held captive or something like yeah, that, the like guy would what probably, the fuck yeah, the, what, do like, do? what do we do? So, um, so then through the release of the CCTV footage and like other witnesses that you can see on the CCTV, um, a guy actually came forward who was captured on the CCTV footage and said like he didn't see anyone with Jill when he, at the point when he saw her. Mm. Um, so... Then, so this is up to the Thursday. So, I'm so sorry. I'm going between two word documents. There is just so many words in front of me right now. So, um, at the end of the day, the investigators involved are not only worried about solving the murder, but also they've got to collect the evidence and make sure that it's collected well and thorough and correctly because of the Supreme Court trial that possibly may follow. May result, yeah. And also not knowing that the... um if the person who did this or didn't do it or if Jill was alive or if she wasn't, like if there would be a plea of guilty or not guilty. So they had a lot of work to do. So um, at this point in the investigation, so this is on the Wednesday, um, police were concerning themselves with the movements of Jill's mobile. And then on the, so the Saturday morning, the morning after Jill had disappeared, her mobile was in Brunswick area pinging off a tower. And then after a few hours, the phone started to move and they were able to track the phone to Gisborne, which is outside of Melbourne. Um, they had a lucky break with a CityLink transaction, which is obviously like a kind of like the go-between bridge or yeah, like any- Yeah, thing that like- Yeah, yeah, that's it. Automatic toll payment thing. Yeah. Um, and they were able to link a transaction um, on Moreland Road, Gantry at 440. And that's exactly where Jill's phone was at that time. And it was located through a signal while it was still on because obviously, obviously since then yeah, the phone has been died. turned off or died. 
And this was the first time that people, uh, that police were able to link Adrian Ernest Bailey to the disappearance of Jilma. So this guy. <laughs> this motherfucker. Yeah. Adrian Ernest Bailey, a.k.a. Adrian Ernest Matthew Edwards, was born on July 14th, 1971. So this is a timeline. So this isn't like a history of him because, you know. Not a lot of info. Not a lot of info. Um. Well, there is, but also I don't want to give this motherfucker the time. So April 21st, 1990, he married his pregnant partner. So this is a history of his like major events and also his assaults and stuff. So 1990, he married his pregnant girlfriend. June 8th, 1990, he held a teenage girl hostage in his home and raped her. June 10th, 1990, he was arrested and charged with the rape and then bailed. August 30, 1990, he attacked a girl who was 17 walking home from a bus stop. September 11th, 1990, the victim identified him to police. He was arrested, charged with attempted rape and again released on bail. October 1990, his, his daughter was born. December 12th, 1990, he picked up a hitchhiker who was 16 and he attacked her. December 17th, 1990, a hit, oh the hitchhiking God. victim identified him. June 1991, pleaded guilty, sentenced to five years with a minimum of three. April 1993, was released from jail after serving only 22 months. So he was a sexual predator, obviously. Obviously, serial rapist. Yep. 1995, he uh, split from his wife and began a new relationship, fathering two more children. Uh, July 2000, changed uh, name by deed poll from Edwards to Bailey. Uh, September 1st, 2000, first of six rapes of women in St. Kilda area. Each woman was driven to a lane and violently raped in his car. April 17th, 2001, he was arrested over five of the six rapes. One case would remain unsolved until after Jill's murder. April 26th, 2002, he was sentenced to 11 years with a minimum of eight, pleading guilty to the St. Kilda rapes. 2009, he completed sex offender treatment program in prison prior to being released on parole. August 12th, 2011, while, being, while on parole, he king hit a guy outside a Geelong cafe and broke his jaw. February 27th, 2012, he pleaded guilty to the, at the Geelong Magistrates Court to recklessly causing injury and jailed for three months. He appealed the sentence and was released on bail and parole was continued. April 5th, 2012, he raped another victim in St Kilda. July 15th, 2012, he raped a Dutch backpacker after offering her a lift home in a balaclava. And Jill was disappeared on the 21st of September. How does somebody who has been convicted of rape multiple times ever get released on bail for any reason? Mm-hmm. How? Yep. How? What the fuck, justice system? That is the most insane. I literally just had a nervous breakdown hearing you read all those out. How was he ever allowed outside of a prison ever again? That is bullshit. The system is broken and we should just set the world on fire. Pretty much. Goodbye. So humanity was a mistake. uh, So 21st of September is when Jill disappeared. So we're up to the 26th. Uh, The surveillance squad called the dogs was called in to see if Bailey was acting suspicious and also was to make sure that he wouldn't strike again because they were pretty sure it was him. At this stage, they aren't definitely sure that Bailey did it, but they check his phone locations and see if they correspond with Jill's. 1.30 a.m., he's at Sydney Road. 4.30 a.m., he's on the Telemarine Freeway. 5 a.m., it's in Sunbury. 6 a.m., it's in Gisborne. So you could literally track 
both phones all the way out to Gisborne and oh only one of them God. only one of them came back and that was Bailey's. So late Wednesday, the 26th of September, police stopped talking to the media, which is a sign that police were making progress. Um, the police were still debating on whether to release the CCTV footage, fearing that, you know, he would destroy evidence or he would flee or he would self-harm. Mm. By the Thursday, it was confirmed that the uh, prime suspect of, was the man in the blue hoodie in the CCTV footage. The random and opportunistic nature of the attack led police to believe that the predator would strike again. I mean, also his history of serial rapes. Yeah. Uh, usually the police would be looking at background info, but with the possibility, however small, of Jillian being found alive, they were fighting the clock. So, yeah, he had 17 prior convictions with his history, um, and with his history, would be highly unlikely to stop offending. You're doing great, gal. Okay. <laughs> After a few conversations throughout the day discussing how the arrest would happen and how the interview would be constructed, they decided to go and get him and um, see what he had to say. At a predetermined moment, Bailey was grabbed and it would be his last day of freedom. Okay. Thank God. <sighs> like, thank God. Okay. Each of those rapes carry a maximum sentence of 25 years. Uh, he was given a minimum of eight, which, is, which works out to be about 14 months per rape. If he had been given the maximum sentence for one of those rapes, a further 13 women wouldn't have been raped and Jill Ma would still be alive. I just don't even know what to say. I am just sitting here like apoplectic with rage. In the interview, he stated that he had nothing to do with Jill's disappearance and that he was happy to help in any way. Bailey was described in the interview as confident, relaxed, comfortable. And then they got <clears throat> Bailey to tell his version of the events where he was on the night of Jill's disappearance. He said he went into the city with his girlfriend. They had an argument and she left him. And he said he hated women being out on their own. So he walked around for two hours trying to find her. And then he eventually went home. He spent an hour telling that tale. He was willing to lie extensively and detectives had the evidence to prove that he was lying. I can't believe he had the gall to say that he didn't like women wandering around alone at night. Uh, after an hour, they decided to take a break and Detective Sergeant Paul Rao, who was conducting the interview and they, they talked to in the Netflix documentaries and like, seems like an incredible guy. Um, he confronts Bailey with the evidence of his car going under the Moreland Road, going under Moreland Road on the Telemarine Freeway. And he can't explain why his car's there. He can't explain why his phone's on Sydney Road. And that's when Paul Rowe just, uh, notices that Bailey starts to change in demeanour and attitude and even his complexion starts to change. He was presented evidence that unravelled his story that he had been spending hours in the interview room trying to convince police of. And once he realised that police had the evidence against him, that, he wasn't, that, that they had evidence against him that he wasn't aware of, he became uncomfortable and rattled and even became angry. And at one point they stationed officers outside the room in case Bailey got violent. Paul uh, Rao said in the interview that he didn't feel like he was, but, you know, obviously it would be. Can't be too careful with no, that no, no. psycho wandering about. So Paul Rao lets Bailey know that while he's been in the interview room with him, his home had been searched and they asked him if there would be anything of Jill's that would be at his house. And he says no. And at that so in the days following Jill's disappearance, Bailey had actually had his car cleaned and it had his tires changed in order to cover his tracks. And obviously the police didn't know that in the middle of the week, but they found that out afterwards. 
They know he's had an interaction with Jill on Sydney Road. His car was heading out of the city where Jill's phone was and where they assumed her body was. The police let Paul Round know, who was conducting the interview, that they had seized a SIM card from Bailey's address. And uh, one of the officers uh, contacted uh, one of the officers and a oh, – what am I saying? The serial number from the SIM card and a tactical int- intelligence officer gave it to a Vodafone technician out of hours and she burst in through the doors and screamed that it was Jill's. When Bailey was told that they had found his SIM card at his house and up until that point his – answer to the questions was that I can't explain it. I can't explain it. And then it changed to, I don't, I don't want to explain it. And he sat back and he shook his head and he dropped the facade and he couldn't believe what was happening. So uh, Paul Rao was trying to appeal to any levels of compassion that were in Adrian Bailey. I don't think there is any. There is that And just trying to find out what, where Jill was. And they knew a hundred percent that he was the man and he, and Adrian Bailey said he wanted to do the right thing. And take them to where her body was. Oh, well, thank you, Adrian Bailey. Bit too fucking late to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, so Thursday, 10.30 p.m., Paul Rao's in the car with Bailey and they drive uh, they drive out to Gisborne and they're driving around and around. They keep driving past the same road and David Butler, who was driving the car, goes up the road that they keep driving past and then they're about a kilometre up the road and Bailey starts crying and saying that this is it. Um. Paul Rao wanted to continue the interview at the scene, but Bailey refused to get out of the car. Um, and David Butler discovered an area of recently disturbed, a recently disturbed patch of grass, and that's where they found Jill Ma. <sighs> After burying Jill, Adrian Bailey had actually run out of petrol, and uh, somebody had picked him up. A member of the public had actually picked him up and taken him to a service station to get fuel and driven him back to the car. And when that was released to the public, that member of the public came forward. Um, so in total, it took six days to catch Adrian Bailey. That's amazing. And then it took six minutes for a magistrate to remand Bailey into custody. Oh, they didn't let him out on bail this time? What a shock. Um, so there's quite famous um, footage of Tom Ma standing on the steps of the magistrate's court. Um, and then they go on to talk in the documentary about the effects that this case had on the police. Um, Paul Rao actually left the homicide squad. Two people that worked on the forensic squad that had gone to the scene to where Jill was in Gisborne actually didn't return to work after that. Um, Ron Idles, who was one of the heads of the homicide squad, um, talks about missing his kids' birthdays and the impact that a job like that has on their lives and Mm. the lives of the people that are important to them. And talking about the importance of balance and coping with pressure of working in a job like that, which I can't even begin to understand. No. So Bailey was off the streets, but now police had to build the case that would be compelling, compelling enough that the jury had like, there was just, there was no, not even a jury. There was so compelling that he would have had no choice but to plead guilty. So three days after Bailey was charged, 30,000 people took to the streets to march and to take back the streets. Mm. Frank Vincent, who's a former justice of the Supreme Court of Victoria, said she was a young woman going about her business and she died in that process. And that is why it is so, that's why it's so powerfully resonated with people. The social media impact on the case became like a digital lynch mob. People were crying for blood of Bailey. Just, yeah. (laughs) And Tom Ma, 
was uh, seen on camera talking about like the negative impacts that the social media could have on the case, especially on the impending trial, because if anything gets said or if it does go to the if jury, it seems like prejudicial, then it's, yeah, yeah, they can't. Um, and then there's just talk of the system failing Jill, which is so true because Bailey was out on parole at the time of Jill's murder waiting for a court appeal for the indecent assault. Um, so for the assault, he was sentenced to three months and he actually appealed the severity of the length of the imprisonment. What? And then there was this whole discussion about um, like the culture of parole in Victoria and why that had to change. And the premier got up and said that they were going to make a difference and they were going to do this and going to do that. And it's like, yeah, but it's too fucking late. Too she's late because she's dead. Um, and basically there was just chat. There was just talk that he should have been in prison awaiting his appeal. So um, I'm going to read out some victim impact statements that were read. Um, So this is Catherine Hurley, who was one of Jill's bosses at the ABC. Um, The brutal and random nature of the crime created an outpouring of grief in the entire community as as well as in our own workplace and dramatically affected the fabric of the team at 774 ABC Melbourne, our regional staff and further afield in other areas of the ABC. Jill's death left a gaping hole that was difficult to absorb for those of us who walked past her empty desk every day. Experienced staff who have spent years covering difficult issues struggled with the the senseless nature of this crime that cut short the life of a bright, vibrant professional administrator with the whole of her life ahead of her. The random nature of the crime has made us more cautious. We can all empathize with her fate, thinking it could have been me or my sister or my daughter. And this is from Edith McKeon, who's Jill's mother. She was my only daughter and I have been robbed of so many precious things we would have shared. My life stopped on the 22nd of September, 2012. I have been shocked to the core of my being. I feel battered and bruised as a mother, never whole again without her. I can no longer live an ordinary life and my heart suffers for the deepest wound from which it will never recover. I was her mother for almost 30 years and she was taken so suddenly from my life. The impact of Gillian's murder has been catastrophic. The loneliness and sadness I feel is enormous. Gillian has been torn from all of our hearts and the link that held us together has been shattered. We now have to try and rebuild a life and even the thought of just that makes me so sad. I have been given a life sentence. <laughs> no, it's Ellen crying this time. I'm crying so much. <laughs> Okay, um, so this is from Michael McKeon, who's Jill's brother. No words, just pain in private. I am unable to complete a statement with adequate words to express the full impact of the brutal loss of my sister, Gillian. Gillian was my only sister, born of the same mother and father, raised in the same home. We shared the same life, the same upbringing, values and dreams. I am in dreadful pain. I must carry on with living a full life yet I will never forget my sister. And then, sorry, I'm just going to keep going because these are just the most horrific things I've ever read. Uh, This is from George McKeon, who's Jill's father. What happened? She walked. What was outlined to the court happened and she died. It was a brutal ending to her life and something that will live with me for the rest of my life. We often, that is my wife and I in particular, we live in a lovely place in Western Australia. We actually live opposite to a park on the river where, da- where daily there is young mothers and their children. Every young child, small baby, 
small babies less than three months old, they just remind me of Jillian and they remind me of what would have been that by now Jillian maybe would have been three to four months pregnant. We would have been engrossed in the life of babies coming along and yet this, and she would have had children, presumably more than one. This is a victim impact statement. So this is the impact on my wife and I. That is a life we we will just never have. We can't have it. We can't have any more children. Thank you. And then just to wrap this all up, hey, um, this is from Tom, Jill's husband. Jill embodied everything I could ever ask for in a partner. Her sense of fun and adventure and her unquenchable lust for life pulled me through difficult times and lifted me even higher in good times. Now, as I go through the worst time in my life, the person whose passion, intelligence and strength got me through before is no longer there to help me with this struggle. What was stolen from me on the 22nd of September 2012 was my love, my best friend and my entire world. What was stolen from us was our future, the possibility of our family and our lives together. What has been given to me is a lifetime of fear, insomnia, unending panic attacks, anger that I have never wanted or asked for and first-hand knowledge of how deeply depraved and disgusting a human being can be. My world has been significantly altered and my belief in the good of humanity has been shaken to its core. I hesitate to leave my apartment because of the feverish prospect of an anxiety attack that can pounce at the most inappropriate times. Nightmarish and intrusive visions are constant and I don't escape this in sleeping or waking hours. I have been forced to move from our home in Brunswick given its proximity to where Jill's death occurred and I am constantly confused, disorientated and unfocused. The pain of not being able to tell Jill that I loved her in her final moments, the knowledge that those last moments were terrifying and painful and the knowledge with her final walk she crossed paths with with evil haunts me every day. The initial stages of the police investigation necessitated a thorough examination of our apartment, our car, our private possessions, which was intrusive and extraordinarily uncomfortable. This was soon followed by unwelcome messages from members of the public who convinced themselves that I was involved in Jill's disappearance. This has exacerbated feelings of horror and a lack of faith in the decency of humanity. The frequency of media intrusion has ebbed and flowed but has never stopped completely. I have been away from work for substantial periods of time. I have ongoing counselling for trauma and grief and quite simply my my life will never be normal again. Most of all, I miss Jill. I miss waking up late on a Sunday and having breakfast at 2pm. I miss boozy afternoons in the sunshine, making plans, laughing with her and sharing my life with her. I miss her inside fun and wit, her huge smile and infectious personality. I think of her every second of every day and I think of the pain of never being able to laugh with her again. I think of the waste of a brilliant mind and a beautiful soul at the hands of a grotesque and soulless human being. I think of how in love we were and how much I've lost of my life and dreams were built around Jill. I am half a person because of this crime. So Justice Jeffrey Nettles sentenced Adrian Bailey to life in prison with a non-parole period of 35 years. It was a savage, violent rape of the most gravest kind committed on a woman you knew who was most certainly not consenting. In March of 2015, he was convicted of three additional rapes, one quashed an appeal with a minimum sentence of 40 years. Adrian Bailey wouldn't have stopped. 
so um, this year would have been Tom and Jill's 10 years, 10 year anniversary. And um, I know we've all cried a lot, but um, this was Tom's tribute to Jill. Okay. 10 years ago today, I was lucky enough to marry this incredible human. When I woke up that day, continuously fumbling over the elusive art of tying a tie and nervously downing cheap white wine to, to way too early in the morning, I imagined the seemingly endless stretch of time would we would, that we would have together. I imagined our future experiences and all of the unpredictable, ridiculous moments that would make up our shared existence. While I thought through this imagined future, I scrolled additions and scratched out redundant parts of my wedding speech. And as I wrote, my attention frantically jumping between wine and pen, I daydreamed about what we will be doing in five years, in 10 years, in 20 or 30 years. We never made it to five. Four years later, she was brutally and violently taken from this world. Only five weeks ago, I stood in the Wicklow Mountains where we were married, looking up at the canopy in the woods behind the grounds, as I have done many times in the six years since her death. My words may be too feeble to describe the feeling I got and so often get in this space, but it unlocks something for me, an expanse where the artificial separateness between me and her, between life and death, dissolves effortlessly. Jill's life is not defined so simply as over. Even though her body is no longer here and the cretin who took her from this world cannot be defined so easily as alive, even if he still breathes and takes up space in this world, Jill communicates to us through that living space in those woods where we connect, through the ones she loved and who loved her, through everyone who lives life like she did, full of love, compassion, laughter, and a force and energy that that was literally breathtaking. The asshole that took her from this world communicates with us through violence, misogyny, hatred, and death. His pallid shadow can never extinguish her light. I carry the scars of Jill's death because that's how I remember to carry her light inside me. Those scars are what connect me and her. They are what teach me, what give me strength, what allow me to hold the confusing mishmash of emotional chaos together and survive. Not without her, but with her loving guidance and formidable strength. The polar contrast between Jill and her killer are so clearly bookends of the extremity of good and evil that it sometimes feels like an ancient tragedy played out in real life. But it's the gaping spectrum in between those two opposing ways of living that chills me more than the red-faced, steroid-riddled, dead-eyed individual misogynistic rage of a man who killed her. In The War on Women, this man exemplifies the extremist wing of the hateful and pervasive ideology of male sexual terrorism. But it's the everyday spectrum of male violence that disturbs me even more. In a culture where the deaths of most women are not newsworthy, are so commonplace that they are seen as incidental, expected and simply inevitable, he certainly does represent the extremist wing. But it's the many silent foot soldiers, supporters, cheerleaders, beneficiaries and bloated self-righteous guardians of male supremacy who vocally claim to despise the extremist wing while essentially supporting the underlying ideology that chills my blood. I can hold the polarities of Jill and Bailey in my mind as light and darkness, as good and evil. It's the deliberately inscrutable, seemingly unreachable void that exists in between to prop up the darkness that keeps me awake at night. You are my warrior for love, life and liberation. Thank you for consistently and persistently teaching me how to live, how to think, how to embrace love wholly and to bear witness to the fire you lit in me and so many others in your short time on this earth.
You are loved at every moment of every day. And that's the murder of Jill Ma. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I don't think I've ever cried for such an extended period of time in my life. I think I started crying like as soon as you said the words, this is the murder of Jomar <laughs> at the start of the episode, which um, now feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, I'm going to get the name of that documentary for everyone to watch. Um, I'm sorry if that wasn't very thorough. I um, I don't have any excuses. This I, I did my best. But um, I, yeah, I mean, Tom – Really summed it up there, didn't he? I wish. I feel like uh, it's in, called Conviction. It's on Netflix. Conviction, the Jill Ma story. I feel like you could give me one thousand years, and I would never be able to articulate my feelings about <laughs> these issues the way Tom Ma did that you just read out to us. And I think you know, Jill, Jill and Allison were the same year, two thousand and twelve, mm. and then I mean, look how many fucking women have died this year from hands of men oh. and then also this these thoughts and feelings came up again for us with Eurydice, Eurydice yeah. earlier this year yeah and it's how many more times is it going to take for this to happen for it to stop being our fault like I'm 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 really sick of it <laughs> I'm really sick of it and I I respect the hell out of Tom Ma regardless but I respect the hell out of him for laying the blame at the feet of male supremacy because that's what it is. Like you can talk about sick individuals and obviously Adrian Bailey was a sick individual, but he has had the benefit of living in a society that doesn't right. doesn't criticise and doesn't punish men for 17, the crimes they commit against women. 17. How many that, it's just God. insane how to me. How many people does it like? How many people does one? How many lives does one person have to ruin? Yeah. How many? How many women's lives add add up to equal one life sentence for that guy? Like, I. It's just. It's just. It's like beyond words. The fact words. is, like the St Kilda murder, like this, not rapes. The St Kilda, the St Kilda, the six rapes, Kilda not ones. murders. Yeah. As I said, like the minimum sentence on each of those would have been. 25 years and if he had gotten one of those minimum sentences maximum sentences maximum sentences sorry 13 women wouldn't have been attacked and Jill Ma would still be here it just like you can talk to me all you want about being safe and watching myself and doing my best and it's like well you know what there's going to be some psycho walking down the street that I'm gonna I'm not gonna have any way of defending myself to exactly and he may if he goes to prison at all which he probably won't he may only be there for 14 months like what's the point honestly what is the point what is the point of you know we spend so much time as women being afraid and at the end of the day it doesn't matter how afraid we are you're never far from some psycho finding you at night, you know, and it just, it makes me so angry for the lives we all could have had and for the lives that have been taken by just, you know, the worst aspect of humanity. I just wish, oh, I wish it was different. I just wish it was different. Just the people out there that are, you know, it's exactly what Lisa Wilkinson said. Like, mm. Instead of teaching girls to be safe at night it's like maybe just teach boys just to respect women and to not rape them and you know what we had we've had recently um 
a female politician in Australia resigned from her party due to the rampant sexism and misogyny that she experienced as a high-level parliamentarian. It's so ingrained. That boys' club mentality is so ingrained and so much a part of society that, you know, it's almost not surprising that he didn't get as much prison time as he should for rape. It's Brock Turner. It's all of these men who don't get the punishments that they deserve. Because women's lives aren't considered as important as men's. We don't matter. In 2018. I think of like little girls like that come into the store or like people that I know that have kids and yeah. they've got little girls and it's like, oh, dull. We just want to make the world safe Safer for them. for you. Like, oh, God. I think I feel like I need to go lie down for eight months. <laughs> Um, so that was our first case of Victoria. I'm glad that's out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also just want to um, say special, like to Tom and to Jill's family, mm. unfathomable loss that you suffered. It's it's never going to be okay. But especially Tom, thank you for what you said about male supremacy mm. and not just like calling this a freak accident that took the love of your life. It's like, no, it's a toxic masculinity culture of this entire fucking globe. That's what killed Jill Ma. That's what killed Jill Ma. And so many women. And just, you know, as he said, nameless women, women who will never become news stories. Yeah. Uh, so thanks <laughs> for listening and crying with us, maybe. Um, what's, your, what's your first case for Victoria? My next case is a particularly horrible one. It is the Sharp Family Murders. Everybody prepare a stiff drink. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Mm -hmm. I I also feel Um, that very deeply. So if you're listening on iTunes, which I hope you are, make sure you subscribe. Uh, Make sure you go on our Facebook, uh, Murder in the Land of Oz. Leave us a review if you liked it. Um, and engage with us. Let us know if there's any cases you would like us to cover. You can also, as we said, head on to our Patreon. You can pledge some money to us to support our work and make it better. Uh, you can or find not. Or not. <laughs> and get us to get yeah, us to get crime con so we can engage with Nancy Grace and tell her what a weirdo she is. If you have a message you want us to deliver to Nancy Grace. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll read it um, out. We'll be like, Nancy Grace, can... this is for all the lives you've ruined with your terrible show and your terrible opinions and attitude, you harpy woman. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Murder in the Land of Oz. Um, we're obviously on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Tell your friends. Tell your family. You know, live your life. Do the thing. Um, yeah. We're going to go cry some more. Yeah, I think so. See you in a fortnight. I think I saw some chocolate in Zane's fridge. Let's go eat that. Oh, yes, please. Okay. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. The world is a mess. War, famine, politics. Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn, 
all of life's important lessons. Or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical. Subscribe to Musicals Tell Me Everything I Know, wherever you find fun and funny podcasts. Or at our website at thatsnotcanonproductions.com. A That's Not Canon Productions podcast. Grenka, 100% your finance partner for fast, accessible cash flow solutions. Get back to business with Grenka. Get the latest equipment you need and keep your cash where you need it in your business through leasing and invoice finance. We make credit decisions in 20 minutes and can pay your supplier or fund your chosen invoices within 24 hours of completion. We finance 100% of the asset, no deposits needed, and you can lease equipment from as little as 500 euro upwards. Grenka, your finance partner for fast, efficient leasing and invoice finance options. That's G-R-E-N-K-E. Life admin. Yep, it even sounds boring. No wonder it goes on the long finger. But when you do get round to it, a good place to start is by reviewing your mortgage. You really never know if there's a better option unless you look into it. That's where the Ulster Bank Mortgage Team could help. Wherever you bank, get in touch and find out about switching your mortgage to us. Just search Ulster Bank Switch. Ulster Bank. Help for what matters. Over 18s only. Ulster Bank Ireland DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.